Ugh. There was an error there. Okay, hold on. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how reliability is built into a cloud platform. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm a cloud technologist for iLand, and I will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a great group of people who have deep experience consulting and designing cloud environments with different technologies. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about being reliable in the cloud. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I am Ron Singler, Chief Technologist at VMware. And I, I guess when I think about reliability in the cloud, I really have to go back to the root of the word, right? And just ask myself, can I rely on my provider to give me three things, primarily scalability, flexibility, and consumption options? And is it going to be cost efficient, right? And those three things we can usually count on from the bigger providers like iLand. But the other things that we really have to think about when choosing a cloud provider are consistent performance, durable connectivity, and facilities, which I know we'll talk about later. And am I able to secure my applications and infrastructure? Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Palmer. I'm a technologist in the product strategy organization at Veeam Software. I'm also a VMware certified design expert. When it comes to reliability in the cloud, Ron just really set the stage for us really well. It really depends on how your cloud provider is building their underlying infrastructure, of course. But just because we're sending things to the cloud doesn't mean we get a pass on everything else, right? It also means that we need to understand the basics of infrastructure to understand how our cloud provider is giving it to us. And we also need to understand how our applications are architected and deployed. I could go to a cloud provider and tell them to give me one single gigantic vSphere host, one host, and put my whole infrastructure, all my VMs on there. And that wouldn't be a really reliable configuration, right? So all those key things we're used to dealing with in the data center don't necessarily go away. They just change a little bit. Hey, everyone. This is Aaron Delp, and I'm here to bring the knowledge level down on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I am a co-host, co-founder of the Cloudcast podcast. It's uh, been around in our industry for going on nine years now, probably uh, top 100 tech podcast out on iTunes, depending on the week. And we've been discussing a lot of these trends in technology over the last uh, nine years or so. And think about it this way, and this will be a, a sneak peek into my answers uh, later on. This has changed over the last decade, right? This idea of reliability and what was reliability in the cloud or by a provider is very different today than it was, say, five years ago, six years ago. So uh, I, that is an interesting concept because there is also a lot of old thinking out in the industry when it comes to matching the applications to the infrastructure. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective there. Thank you all for joining me. We'll obviously get deeper into all those topics. But to kind of kick it off, it seems obvious that having a reliable platform is a key to a reliable cloud. But as was kind of mentioned, there are many ways to achieve that. This could mean building a reliable infrastructure that is similar to most on-premises data centers. But some clouds are designed for failure at the application layer. 
thereby making the infrastructure reliability less critical. So let's start from the bottom up. You know, data centers are facilities and they're the rock upon which reliable infrastructure is built. Ron, Melissa kind of touched on this, but should customers concern themselves with the facilities that a cloud provider uses? And if so, what should they be looking for? A thousand percent. Yes. Right. Um, as you said, it's kind of the core where everything starts, right? It's the foundation of moving to anywhere outside of your on-premises data center uh, or maybe your you know computer closet, right? If you're a, an SMB customer, but a lot of customers kind of give the Amazons and islands of the world the benefit of the doubt that yes, they're building resilient facilities and infrastructure, but I would recommend that every customer go and at a minimum tour the facility, right? And just start asking a bunch of questions. You know, how many people work there? Who has access to the different systems running the facility? And who has access to the data center floor? What types of power backup systems are in place, right? If they have a generator, how many fuel vendors do they have contracted in the event of a disaster, right? If they're dependent upon one and they're busy filling up somebody else's data center and you're about to run out of gas, you're kind of going to be SOL there, right? Uh, If they're using UPSs, do they have redundant UPSs? Can everything run off a single UPS? If the provider has to take systems down for maintenance, one, what is the schedule for that? And then how will that impact your infrastructure and applications in the event that does have to take place? So that's kind of where I would start from a facilities perspective. Aaron, Melissa? Ron, you just like, you're my new best friend after hearing you say all that. I swear. No, because there's a tendency in moving to the cloud that is so easy to whip out your credit card and go to a cloud provider that you just do it, right? You forget that there's all these physical components. You forget that this is someone else's data center. It's not a magic thing in the sky. It's literally someone else's data center and all those really physical considerations, you know, access control, how many people they have staffing the place, you know, do they have enough generators for the workload they have? Can they support? How long can they run with no power? Stuff like that. No one thinks about that. They get out their credit card, they put in the numbers and they go start deploying applications, probably not in the right way, right? So people really need to take a step back, take a good look at their providers they're considering and do their diligence. It's just as if you were deploying onto your own cloud on site, right? You need to worry about all those same things. Yeah. And I'll give you a, a story. Now, this goes back a number of years, but it probably helps illustrate some of this. And I will protect uh, both geography and company names. Uh, I don't even know if they're still around, but just in case. Um, oh, you don't think they're still around anymore? This is going to be a good one, right? <laughs> I'm almost positive they're, they're not around anymore. But early on in my career, I was the IT manager of a company and was kind of still on the customer side, if you will, and was setting up a number of servers. And it was actually in a factory kind of environment. And then we kind of realized our facilities probably weren't reliable. And so we wanted to go into, you know, kind of a hosted uh, colo kind of of situation. And they came and picked everything up and installed everything and charged us. Everything was great. And, And to exactly your point, I was early on in my career, didn't do a lot of this due diligence and actually ended up touring the facility probably six months later. It was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of assumptions were made, right? Of it was basically a closet somebody was renting out at the end of the day. (laughs) And, you know, but this was, again, super, super early on where, you know, a lot of 
VARs were just starting to make money and they're like, oh, wait a second, you know, they'll pay me to basically run their server. Sure, I'll do that. So there's, you know, there's definitely things to consider. Um, now, I don't think those kinds of situations necessarily exist. That was, you know, back in the early days kinds of situation. But, you know, we do take it for granted, though. You look at some of the cutting edge providers these days redundant sources of everything is just assumed. But, I, you know, again, I, advice to everyone out there, I would say trust but verify. Yeah, I have a similar story there where I was also on the customer side back in those days and we were out of room in our data center. So we were going down multiple tracks and this was, you know, same story takes me on the VMware track in my career, but we were also looking at moving our data center off site and a local company in town had their DR facility in Omaha, where I live. And we ended up moving in there and it wasn't a colo facility by any stretch of the imagination. We literally had just a bunch of racks with no security around it other than the locks on the racks themselves. And literally we would walk by a rack that had the Visa logo on the side, just to give you an indication of what kind of data was going through there. And since it was such a highly secure facility and, and we toured it ahead of time and we kind of knew all of its functionality and that it was good, but our access to those servers was limited because it was so wide open. We had to literally call in, open up a ticket, wait 15 minutes, and then drive over to the facility to get to our servers. And it was infuriating to deal with because we were used to just going downstairs. So that made it really difficult for us to manage our own infrastructure, which obviously end users don't have to do in the cloud, but the cloud provider does. But, you know, one often touted benefit of the cloud, particularly for SMBs, as you mentioned, Ron, is accessibility to a more reliable infrastructure. You know, generally, they're going to be using higher class equipment combined with better redundancy than they could build on premises themselves. How much of an advantage is this for customers, Melissa? And is it a core consideration to the move to the cloud? Yeah, it can be a huge advantage. And it really comes down to with any organization, whether it's an SMB you know, or a large company, I've worked at large organizations where their data center would probably rival some cloud providers, right? Sure. Is IT a cost center or is it a business driver, right? How do you view IT as a whole? A lot of people, you know, they don't put the investment they need to into their IT resources, which means that they can't buy that higher class equipment, right? They can't afford to staff it how it should be staffed. You know, there's so much you have to worry about when you're doing it yourself. The building itself, is your building going to be big enough for your growth? What about power, cooling, generators, all that stuff that Ron touched on in the beginning? So yeah, it can be absolutely a huge advantage that would allow people to free their resources to, you know, even just free up their IT personnel, right? To do things that matter to the business, not worry about upgrades and patches and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Is it a core consideration? You know, I think it depends. I think it depends on the organization. Some people would probably just look at it and say, oh, the cloud is too expensive. We can do it better ourselves. But can you really do it better yourselves? Can you really do it better than someone whose core business is to do it, right? So it kind of goes back to IT organizations and how they're viewed and structured within a company, especially in the SMB space, right? You might just not be putting that investment in IT where you need to. So why not just go buy a better infrastructure in the cloud instead of doing it not as good yourself? Yeah, Melissa, I'll, this is Aaron, I'll follow up with the comment too. There's, but there's also the flip side, which is something, and I've actually seen um, multiple startups actually get founded here recently, just based on the concept of repatriation of data. 
coming back from the cloud because they went out to the cloud and maybe they thought it was cheaper. Maybe they thought it was more reliable. Maybe there was data sovereignty issues. You know, the issues aren't necessarily going to matter, but at the end of the day, for one reason or another, cloud hasn't worked out. And so you've seen this kind of pendulum or backswing back. And I don't know that I have my head fully wrapped around that. I just think it's more just pendulum swings one way and pendulum starts to swing back the other way and there's a new market. Yeah, it kind of kind of does that everywhere, right? Exactly. Remember the whole IT outsourcing thing where everybody went nuts and outsourced everything <laughs> yes. left and right? And then all of a sudden they realize this was a terrible idea. Let's start bringing people back in. Right. So yeah, it, people tend to kind of go a little nuts, right? Whatever's on the cover of CIO magazine that year, like people are going to go all in on it and do all this crazy stuff. And then maybe they didn't do it the right way because they were in such a rush just to say, hey, we're using the cloud, right? Or you're right, maybe it just didn't meet the requirements and they didn't realize it until after they got there. It kind of goes back to, you know, did they do their due diligence up front or not? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. No, agreed. And I think I think at the end of the day, there's just no matter what, there's going to be what, you know, a cost of doing business, right? They, whether it's, it's the cloud isn't free. Let's get let's make that clear. Right, exactly it's not a not. magical, sparkly thing that doesn't cost any money and is this you know, no, cloud's not free. Exactly. And so it's like, do you build out the super awesome data center because you need to, or do you spend a whole bunch of money, um, you know, with data in the cloud? I, it depends, right? It, unfortunately, it's going to come down to the ultimate consultant answer of it depends. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there is absolutely a cost of doing business, you know, at a certain amount of reliability. Reliability, there is a cost associated with reliability, no matter what. To your point, Aaron, we're actually seeing customers demand from their cloud providers that their cloud providers now provide infrastructure on-premises, right, in the customer's data center, whether it's for data sovereignty issues or repatriation of that data, or, you know, their buildings may just be a sunk cost that they know that they can't get out of in a simple manner, but they want a refresh of their infrastructure don't necessarily really want to manage it anymore. They're kind of moving up the stack from a management standpoint, if you will, and just wanting to worry about uh, orchestrating their containers, their Kubernetes environments, as well as their applications, right? There, A lot of customers are moving to more of a DevOps model, uh, if you will, yeah, and not necessarily wanting to engineer infrastructure anymore. And that's, that's a fantastic point because there is this meat in the middle that is happening in our industry and, and this trend towards traditional on-prem resources and let's just call it you know VMware and virtualization for the sake of calling it the majority right now. Well, there's this move of VMware on AWS, VMware on Azure, VMware on you know with all the different providers that are out there. But then there's also the flip side to your point. There's Google Anthos, there's uh, Azure Stack, there's uh, AWS Outposts. You know, there's all of these, you know, kind of meet in the middle technologies. Uh, and it's just a natural extension of all of these companies trying to expand their footprint and their influence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's like Melissa said, it's a natural thing. It's happened in the past. It'll continue to happen. You know, soon we're going to be seeing the Kubernetes go too far and then the pendulum's going to come back and things are going to be removed from Kubernetes and put back into VMs. And then we'll go too far on that. And then we'll put more stuff back into containers and. By then, there'll be some hot new thing that'll start taking things away from that infrastructure. Whatever happened to OpenStack, man? That just kind of disappeared, <laughs> right? Like, whatever happened to that? Uh, we are talking about reliability. Here, <laughs> exactly. Right? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. Well, to me, that's always been about, you know, cloud was supposed to be easy and OpenStack didn't make it easy. 
And that's definitely a place where VMware has done a much better job of, of realizing that even if we are going to take the time to build it ourselves, and we feel like we can build it better ourselves, it still can't be complex and difficult and need a PhD to figure out. So this, this applies at every level of the cloud. Exactly. And to this conversation, it's also about you know reliability. Reliability is difficult to build. It's expensive and it takes talent. You know, I don't expect a one or two person SMB to ever build a reliable infrastructure that an enterprise would rely on. Maybe it's good enough for that SMB, but it may not be good enough for a, a larger company. And, you know, that's up to each organization. Exactly. What is good enough for them, right? What kind of SLA do they need to provide for their applications? It comes back to requirements and what's good enough. For, you're right. For some people, hey, you know what? That is good enough. It's fine. But for others, it's just not. And that's, I think that goes back to part of the big decision on whether to go to the cloud or not. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, I worked with a couple of, of bigger school districts and reliability was not their first concern. Nowadays, that's probably different. There's a lot more technology in the schools than there was a decade ago. But back then they were like, oh, we, we could spend money on that and it would be great, but it's just not worth spending the money on. Yeah. There's this idea of it's the cost benefit analysis of, you know, downtime costs money. Well, if you're okay with it, or, you know, if you take a certain amount of downtime and, and you're not 100% reliable, is that critical to your business? Sometimes the answer is that's okay. Yeah. Everyone's okay with downtime until they go down. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and it's important to let the business or your your end user, whether that's directly your end user or someone else's end user, and you know, we're not going to get into the SLAs that cloud providers provide here, but back when we were having children in my family, we were at the hospital and their Citrix environment went down and they all their <laughs> oh, apps no. were based on Citrix. And I actually knew the Citrix administrator and I stopped short of saying, hey, let me give him a call and see if he can fix it for us. But they were all, all the nurses were very nonchalant about it. They're like, eh, we know what to do for the next hour. And if in an hour it's still down, we'll start pulling out the old paper forms. And again, this has been over a decade ago. My mom's a nurse and she's seen this evolution as well. And, and she's called out the fact that nurses that have been trained in the last 10 years don't know how to use those paper forms. They've maybe never even seen them in the past. So Again, to the point earlier about reliability changes over time, that was a great example to me of how the SLA that the business expect has changed over time as well. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's maybe move up the stack a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of different types of cloud providers out there and they all do things a little bit differently. But in really general terms, we can talk about, you know, the hyperscalers, AWS Azure's, the VMware based providers like iLand that are a little bit more, maybe more specialized, maybe more regional. They're generally not as big as the hyperscalers. And then you've got, you know, on-premises cloud solutions, you know, those, those open stack type environments. And they'll differ on how they build reliability into their infrastructure. Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll kind of step back for a second and a little bit of history of how did we get here? And then how do these all, all of these kind of converge in the end? You know, there was always this assumption back in our industry, back in the, you know, let's call it five years ago, traditional on-prem, typically VMware virtualization, always assumed reliability at the infrastructure layer. The apps always assumed the infrastructure was just always there, right? There was no mm -hmm. semblance of knowledge of reliability in the application layer. It was just, it's there or it's not. And the app is going to work or it's not. And then along comes the hyperscalers. And 
we don't think about it as much, but you know, there were days where, hey, an entire AWS region went down, <laughs> right? Or it, it hasn't happened in a number of years now, but it used to happen. And this was where the concept of cloud native architectures came into being. And a cloud native architecture is, hey, loosely coupled, microservices based, but oh, by the way, built high availability into the application layer and into the services layer because you assume the exact opposite. You assume the hyperscalers will go down and there is no assumption of reliability at that level. And so you're coming at it from very different and very polar opposite ends. And this is why, you know, so you, one of the first things a lot of people wanted to do is, oh, I, you know, I'm, maybe I'm getting rid of my data center. I want to, you know, the CIO said I need to migrate to cloud. And so you'd go and lift and shift a bunch <laughs> of stuff, right? And this is where lift and shift got such a bad name because yep. lift and shift, you took an application that was on-prem that had no idea of reliability. And then you put it in an environment that had no guarantee of reliability and you've effectively put crap on crap. <laughs> And when you put crap on crap, well, that's going to be the end result, right? They're just, you didn't match the application to the infrastructure at the time. And so that's where we were back in the day. And, and, but now as things have gotten better, you know, uh, in knock on wood, AWS hasn't gone down you know, on a global level in, in a while now. And if they do, it's certainly, you know, it's more blip based than, then goes down for a long time. And so the infrastructure layer, especially at the hyperscalers and the providers, you're getting to a point where the assumption is starting to be, they are more reliable. And so that mind shift is happening, but it's taking a little while. And so what do you get? You get to uh, Melissa's point earlier and Ron's point earlier, the hyperscalers these days and the service providers these days, the general assumption is they're more secure, they're more reliable. And you know, you get these awesome additional features like, hey, the ability to upgrade the hardware under the covers with kind of the click of a button. And you get all these really, really awesome advancements to it. So we've come a long way just in the last couple of years to where we now have a different set of risks to that reliability. It's less about the under the covers infrastructure and more about fat fingered operators or automation policies that go amok or, you know, some of these other things. It, it, the reliability tends to have shifted more to a human element than an infrastructure element. And, and I would say that would be the biggest trend I personally have seen in the last couple of years to the point where now we need to start looking at the apps. We need to start looking at the people more than we do the actual infrastructure. Yeah, and I, I think that customers have learned to develop applications in a more resilient fashion, right? Instead of the whole lift and shift scenario that you you mentioned earlier and uh, i think the lift and shift thing that's where the vmware based cloud providers came from and that's to be honest that's where vmware managed cloud on aws and all the other clouds came from was customers wanted a cloud type consumption model but they wanted to run their legacy applications in the cloud and they couldn't refactor all of those applications into a cloud native format so i think you know that's where the islands of the world show a lot of their value for customers that you know may have a hundred or two hundred or a thousand applications that need to be refactored and they just can't afford to do that yeah and and look at the technology trends in our industry historically and 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 uh you know brian from your background i'm sure you have 
a better feel for these stats, but you know, compute, uh, you know, and, and on-prem servers typically got replaced every, I don't know, three to five years and, and yep. storage got replaced every, uh, let's call it five to seven years, but an application, especially one that was really complex and really critical to That's the business. That's never going away. <laughs> right. It's a 10 yeah. plus year life cycle, right? And so, so no matter what, a lot of people don't consider a lot of these applications, the application life cycle will exist longer than at least one, if not two generations of the infrastructure. Yeah, that's a great point. And we, we've actually have had some success stories around ISVs, independent software vendors who didn't want to go through that re-architecture of their core business, really, but they still needed that cloud flexibility, the cloud reliability, the cloud economics behind it. So they've actually moved and figure out how to deploy their applications within our VMware infrastructure to be able to provide all those things to their end customers and have been very successful with that. And it's, it's actually a, a specialized kind of vertical that we're looking at focusing more in on. You mean all the stuff that's been running for the last 20 years that everybody's too afraid to touch? Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually looking at a business card for a company that does cross-platform virtualization of Spark and Vax and Alpha, yeah. you know, for those customers. Should should I go ahead and severely age myself? <laughs> <laughs> so it's up to uh, you, man. I'm I'm going to age myself even more than the previous story. My first job out of college, IBM Global Services contracted out to Kodak. So I learned kind of data center operations and client server was just coming into being. And it turns out, you know, like the, and again, way back in the days, you take a bunch of pictures, you put a roll of film in the little envelope at the drugstore, drop it in the little pouch and we go off to a lab. That's, and there was these billing systems that would run it all. Well, it was IBM series one. And I don't expect anyone to necessarily know about it. If you ever want to Google it, go ahead. But it was basically, you know, a rack was one computer and a 20 meg hard drive was, you know, a rollout cabinet. And the billing system at Kodak was written in the 70s on the IBM Series 1 architecture and it was hard tied to the architecture. You couldn't get it anymore. And the application had been around at this point for pushing 30 years, um, yeah, 25 years, let's call it. And you couldn't get the parts anymore. We needed the parts to run the infrastructure. We were actually going out on eBay on a daily basis and bidding for IBM Series 1 reconditioned parts. And it turns out the biggest competition we had was NASA with the space shuttle. So we were, yeah. we were, we were competing against NASA <laughs> to keep our inventory running. <laughs> but that's how old the application was. <laughs> yeah, I've heard similar stories where... Their disaster recovery solution, not at a data center level, but at a component level, was to buy as many spare parts as they could get a hold of because they couldn't rely on their upstream vendor anymore. The good old spare parts depot. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, yes. That <laughs> exactly. is risk mitigation 101. We have a box of old parts in the data center in case something goes wrong. That's how we're mitigating that risk. It's pretty scary. <laughs> yep. Seen that before. Well, with that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. You know, reliability is more than just availability, we learned, and it changes over time. So it's important to continually reconsider that. And, you know, you as a consumer of the cloud should care about what the provider's facility has to offer, what it's providing to your cloud provider, because it really can be an advantage to move to the cloud to gain better reliability. But it is important to understand the cost benefit 
versus your on-premises solution. Can you build it yourself? Yes. Should you build it yourself? That's an economics discussion, really. And the hyperscalers have really changed the way the industry approaches reliability. So it's important to understand the fact that if you're moving into a hyperscaler type environment, at least parts of their infrastructure are designed to not have a reliability guarantee, that you're going to have to look at your applications and see if they can provide the reliability rather than the old assumption that we've all had, you know, the previous 20, 30 years, which is to make sure that the infrastructure is reliable so the applications don't have to care about it. And it's also important to keep in mind that, you know, those applications don't churn as fast as the infrastructure might. So you may be working with old software that simply isn't going to be able to provide that level of reliability without either completely replacing it or completely rebuilding it. So it's an important topic and it's not just assume that it's going to provide what you need there. So thank you, Ron, Melissa, and Aaron for a great conversation. Also, thanks to iLand for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CloudBytes podcast. I always tease Rick. I'm like, Rick, I need a hair. I need a hair and makeup budget if you want me to do video stuff. (laughs) Well done. Well done.